Welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who always turns it around at halftime. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, that's right. So go to the halfway point of this episode and my performance will increase. (laughs) I'm going to dominate the first half. I'm just going to talk like this the whole time. (laughs) Um, We are here today to talk about the 2005 Champions League final. In Istanbul, it was Liverpool 3, Milan 3. Milan took a 3-0 lead at halftime. Liverpool turned it around and won on penalties. It is also known as the miracle of Istanbul. I I think to Western audiences and soccer fans, it's the miracle of Istanbul. I feel like maybe there's been a couple different miracles of Istanbul throughout history. It's a city that's been around for a while. But yes, for the context of today's show, 2005, miracle of Istanbul, 3-3, extra time, things get dramatic. They certainly do, right? Um, If Mm. you haven't seen this game, um, don't worry. In the show notes, you will find, I'm going to put highlights. I'm going to put the full game with match commentary. I'm going to put the full game with no match commentary, which I believe is the one we watched, right, Taylor? It is. Um, And And I'm also going to add a YouTube video of Liverpool coach Rafa Benitez with Jamie Carragher, Liverpool defender, talking through the tactics of this game with a big digital chalkboard. Uh, I uh, have not yet watched that one, strangely enough. So You're going to hear about to it today. That. Uh, I look forward to hearing about it. Uh, I did, as you said, watch the the video with no commentary, but it felt like what they had done is sort of giving you the actual crowd noise. Like they removed yeah. the commentary and instead just kept the, the mics on the field. And it was amazing because it does give you a way better impression of how loud that stadium was. Yes. And there are moments you can see at one point in the first half, Milan Barish like, takes a shot and doesn't realize that I think it was Chabi Alonso was running through to take the shot at the same time. And he turns and said, like, I couldn't hear you uh, because it's that deafening. And that was the first thing that struck me uh, so much so that even though I was watching it on a decent volume, I was asked by my wife upstairs to maybe just turn it down a little. (laughs) It's Liverpool fans' fault. They were too loud. They Um, were. All right, let's talk. The reason I want to talk about this game is Mm -hmm. you've got a genuinely great Milan team and a great Milan team performance in the first half. I think this is really an opportunity to celebrate one of the great teams of history. But Mm -hmm. then you've got that great turnaround from Liverpool. Liverpool in the second half. And I want to start, Taylor, by essentially going through these lineups because I think people need a reminder or need to know for the first time, if you're newer to soccer, just who was on the field in this game. Let's do it. Uh, and let's start by uh, utilizing a quote from Carlo Ancelotti that I really enjoyed. Milan coach? He said, uh, yes, when I think about that match, I think about a match in which my team played very well, perhaps even the best match that one of my teams has ever played then there's a pause, and then he says, I'm talking about the first half, of course. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it, it, it was an amazing first half. It was fairly comprehensive uh, for Milan, and a big part of that is because that squad was ridiculous. And you look at the Liverpool team, there are some names in there that you definitely recognize. There are some that you're like, oh, right, yeah, Liverpool, I forgot. And then you look at the Milan team, and every single one of them is recognizable yes. and still well-known today. So here's my argument. It's not just an incredible comeback from Liverpool. It's kind of an underdog victory when you look oh, at yeah. these names. So get ready for these names. In goal for Milan, it's Brazil's goalkeeper Dida and maybe the least impressive name in the entire squad right there yeah maybe yeah their right back is Cafu the just incredible Brazilian freight train of a right back center backs are Yap Stam and Alessandro Nesta the left back is the great Paolo Maldini who already has four Champions League medals at this point their central midfield is a mix of Peak Andrea Perlo, he's like mid-twenties. Peak Gennaro Gattuso, he's mid-twenties. Clarence Seydorf, who I think is around 30. And a young Kaká. And then ahead of Kaká, it's Shevchenko and Crespo. That is an incredible team. It really, really is. And it's a team that had obviously like had a lot of time together. This is the end of the season. It's crest ball on loan, but for the most part, the rest of that team is sort of gelled. They know how they play, and you can see that in the way they play in that first half. I mean, the first minute is when the goal goes in. That's off a set piece, but for the rest of that first half, you can just see them being very comfortable and knowing where their options are going to be, hitting balls into space, and it's one of those sort of like, oh, there's nobody. Oh, there's the guy. Like You can kind of see them knowing how exactly to play, play balls into space, how exactly to utilize that space because of that familiarity and that technical ability Liverpool's lineup Taylor is mm. less impressive and the first half performance is less impressive um, in goal <laughs> it's Jersey Dudek 
Um, yep. Right back is Steve Finnan. Not a bad player, not Carfu. Centre backs are Jamie Carragher and Sammy Hoopier. Left back is Jimmy Traore, who does not have the best game of any left back in the Champions League final. Let's put it that, that way. That is accurate. Um, That's definitely accurate. The central midfield for Liverpool is Chabi Alonso. Um, in his first season at Liverpool, and Steven Gerrard having one of the games of his life. Um, on the left, it's John Arnarisa. You know, pretty pretty good, pretty good left back, but left back who gets forward, right? So he's like he's left mid in this game. On the right, it's Luis Garcia, who is one of the most frustrating players of all time. Um, and then it's <laughs> Milan Barros up top with um, Harry Kuehl, who's had like an injury injury plague season, just underneath Milan Barros. I'm sure we'll talk more about Luis Garcia later. Let, let's do it. Let's. Can we stick with Harry Kuehl for yeah, a moment? Please do. Because um, I don't. I don't know how much you know about him or researched about him. But as you said, he was injured for most of the season, and then obviously he comes out in the first half with an injury again. Uh, I was reading the Guardian's minute by minute, which was fascinating to read, uh, given that like we know what happens and the way that kind of tone was in the first half. But that writer. Almost wrote about Harry Kuehl as though he would like, like Daniel Sturridge esque, like refuse to play unless he was 100% healthy to the point where I guess the trainers were trying to convince him to stay on, but Kuehl said, like, no, I'm not having it. And so I didn't know if that was just like, was he that injury prone that it was just an expectation he would get injured? At or this did point, he? Or yeah. this, okay, so it wasn't that he had a reputation. No, anything. I think my, at least my memory is just this season he's very injury prone. I don't know gotcha. how much you know about the history of Harry Kuehl, but he, so he's Australian. Um, he was magnificent at that, that Leeds United team that went all the way to the Champions League semi final. Right, mm-hmm. so it's this great run with with Leeds. Liverpool sign him; it's kind of a big name signing for Liverpool. And then he has all these injury problems, and it's it's really important that he's wearing that number seven shirt. That number seven shirt is very important at Liverpool, mm-hmm. right? It's the Kenny Dalglish shirt. It is. Uh, are you aware that I have a Harry Kuehl jersey? I have two jerseys from two players in this game, both of them playing for Liverpool. Who's the other one? Milan Barosh. Both Milan of them Galatasaray <laughs> jerseys. <laughs> That's yep. so strange that you've They assembled. played together at Galatasaray, man. I like to think that Milan Berish loved Istanbul so much after this game that he went back there and played for Galatasaray. <laughs> so in that video um, that I talked about with Rafa Benitez and Jamie Carragher, um, Jamie Carragher is essentially trying to get Rafa Benitez to admit that maybe yeah. it was a mistake to start Harry Kuehl. Yeah, and and he does not do that, right? He, he says, does not. no, 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 it was just kind of, uh, things went away from us. Yeah, he just mounts, he mounts a big, big defense of Harry Kuehl. And it's not all Harry Kuehl's fault. It's not Harry Kuehl's fault for getting injured. But it's to me, it's the uh, be- picking Harry Kuehl meant that he had to drop Dietmar Hamann, defensive midfielder, and instead have Charby Alonso and Steven Gerrard as the two central midfielders. And I think as we like, go through the tactical breakdown of this game, we'll see why maybe that wasn't the smartest idea. Do you want to start uh, with the tactics now, or do you have anything else you want to say about just the lineups and the overall teams going into this? Yeah, let's actually, I've got a couple more things I want to say. Then maybe we'll do tactics, and then we'll get into Milan's goals in the first half. How about that? So we'll just do first half tactics and first half goals. The one final thing I want to note is the prevalence of shoulder length hair. (laughs) Or just above the shoulder hair. It was 2005, yes. Was this a thing in 2005? Everything about it felt like like early mid 2000s yes of like very baggy jerseys shoulder length straight hair that is not particularly fashionable it reminds me of that uh the photo of the manchester united team where they all look like a bad band from like the late 90s or the 2000s <laughs> i feel like that style would have also been uh popular with these teams i did read in that minute by minute as well that i guess uh milan showed up in like fully tailored suits as they are want to do liverpool showed up in shiny track suits so i'm gonna guess that also <laughs> maybe exacerbated the bad hair with the bad track suits Here's my list, Taylor. Barros, Kuehl, Garcia mm-hmm. for Liverpool all have that haircut. I think Chabi Alonso goes short there, so he's okay. Um, for Milan, you've definitely got Perlo. You've got uh, Nesta. Maldini's kind of got that haircut, but he's always he's always had it. Crespo has that haircut. I think Kaká has that haircut. It's just the same yeah. haircut all over. I mean, it's it's a haircut in that it's a lack of a haircut. Uh, but yeah, but yes, they yeah, do like, all have that hairstyle. Yeah. Set apart, right? Set apart and let it grow yes. out. Yeah, and then you're right. Like there are sort of like shorter bangs in the front. It's almost a mullet. It's it's <laughs> mullet mullet adjacent is what I'll say about that. Haircut. Mullet adjacent, two thousand and five. Um, okay, let's talk tactics then. I would say uh, just broadly, it's Liverpool in what I would call a four four one one. The one mm-hmm. one being Harry Kuehl underneath Milan Barosh. Milan's shape is maybe harder to define. I think I would call it a diamond with Kaká yeah. at the tip of the diamond. That's what I had. Perlo at the base of the diamond and Gattuso like right shuttler and Seydorf left shuttler. Yep. 
That's what I had. And then you've got uh, Shevchenko and uh, Hernan Crespo up front yeah. in a four four two. The interesting thing I would say with what Milan were doing in my like like perspective is that oftentimes you had obviously Pirlo sitting deep and moving the ball, but you would also have a, a like four two 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 at times. Did yeah. I get the number of twos right there? Um, and it would be like the two deepest would be the closest together, and then it kind of spreads out from there to the point where the two forwards are super wide, but it still keeps your numbers right through the middle. You can still play very vertically and very directly, but the key point being that you still have numbers ahead of you and numbers around you, whereas Liverpool, it felt like, we're just trying to kind of dump it into Milan Barosh and hope that he could knock it down. Uh, with with Milan, they could play through the middle from, from Pirlo, or they had those other options ahead of him so that they really kind of always had options in that first half. I think that's absolutely right, yeah. Um, it even This game even starts with Jimmy Traore, the man himself, the left back, yeah. um, trying to chip a ball forward into, I think, Kjul or Barosh, and it immediately being intercepted, and then away goes Milan's midfield, right? That yep. seems to be the pattern. The pattern of the first half was a lot of Liverpool chipping balls forward, um, and often, honestly, I, I don't like to pick on him too much, but it's Jimmy Traore with not very good balls uh, chipped forward that are like cut out by Milan, intercepted, and then a counter-attack begins. I agree. Jimmy, Jimmy Traore, notoriously bad balls. Um, then he plays that ball forward. Uh, it's cut out by Milan. They possess the ball. Liverpool get it back. They dump it forward again. Milan come right back down, and that's the foul from Jimmy Traore that leads to the first goal. So yeah, not a great start to the game from Jimmy Traore, certainly. Absolutely not. Should we talk about that first goal then? It is scored. Yeah. It is scored by a 36 or maybe 37-year-old uh, Paolo Maldini. It's Pirlo who steps up to take this free kick, right? And the way I read this is Liverpool have gone mostly man-to-man marking in the box with a couple of free guys. Um, and then they've got Luis Garcia at the top of the box. And I think he's supposed to pick up any runners that come from deep. Yep. But I think he just doesn't see Polo Maldini run behind him. Yeah, well, I think it's that. And then I think it's also, I'm assuming this is a deliberate set piece kind of played back away from the goal and that Maldini is meant to be there. At least everything that's what I, everything Polo does is deliberate. There we go. So in this case, I think what happens is basically Liverpool are set up expecting a bunch of runners into the box, as you kind of do. And this game was a sort of dump it into the box on occasion uh, sort of experience. And so that, uh, I think they're set up to wait for those runners to come in. And Maldini basically just kind of stops and is there for that volley. And I think that's why nobody is able to get to him in time, because yeah. they've all dropped off a little bit expecting the run. Because Maldini doesn't run straight into the mixer, right? He stops just short, and Perlo delivers it just short. So he avoids all the bodies. Um, and so Maldini's kind of free to just hit that ball right-footed volley. Yes, uh, he does that. He also has the hair you mentioned. I've been thinking more about this. I think I understand why that stands out to us and why it looks so weird to us, aside from it just not being very stylish. What The hair? Why? Why does it stand out? Because... A lot of these Milan players who have it, and some of the Liverpool players, like we know what they look like. Like Andrea Pirlo looks like Andrea Pirlo, and so we're used to him with the beard, and he looks the same. It just looks like Andrea Pirlo with like a twenty-year-old haircut. Yeah, and it's strange because the faces are the same, the hair is different, and so it just looks like why are you wearing a wig, Andrea? Like why don't you just wear your normal hair? I think I think maybe that's what it is. Just they all look the way they look, just with weird hair at the same time. I'm pretty sure uh, but, Rui Costa, when he comes on in extra time, adds to it as well. He certainly does. Here's another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I, I thought this game was really interesting because um, watching it again, I sort of had this idea that like, OK, it's Milan completely dominant in the first half and then it's Liverpool completely dominant in the second half. And by my calculation, it's basically like Milan are dominant for maybe 15 to 20 minutes in the entire game and Liverpool are dominant for maybe 15 minutes in the entire game. And yeah. aside from that, it is more open and there are chances on both sides uh, more often than I thought. That said, it is still Liverpool sort of forcing things and maybe getting half chances yes. Milan getting much more consistent chances I would agree and I think if not for some Jamie Carragher slide tackles and yeah. block tackles Milan would have had a lot more um, a lot more clear cut chances um, yeah. I, and I actually think this is a thing that highlights uh, it's Harry Kill's injury I think highlights a thing that was going on during this game, right? It's not just that Harry Kuehl's injury prone. It's that Alice, it's Alessandro Nesta, the centre-back, is wrecking everybody as balls are played in, right? Yeah. So Liverpool are trying to play balls into either chipped in the air or into the feet of Kuehl and Barosh. And every time either Nesta or Stam is stepping winning the ball and crushing the opponent. <laughs> and after about 20 minutes of this, I think in the 19th, 20th minute, um, Nesta not only wins the ball, but crushes Harry Kuehl so badly that he's injured and has to go out. 
<laughs> he's like, you know what? I'm done with this. No, thank you. No more of this. But it is like we say that in, I say that in jest, but it is, you're right, absolutely the case that like if you've got Milan Barish and sometimes Harry Kuehl like 30 yards away from their teammates with just like a ball hit 50 yards in hopes that they'll be able to do something with it. It's not just that it's a lofted sort of 50-50 chance. It's that it's a lofted 50-50 chance that Barish is having to sort of probably stop and come back to and adjust to. Whereas if you're the Milan defender, you can really step to it and aggressively win it. And it, it has to be demoralizing to his credit Bar- Barosh keeps running throughout the game until he's eventually substituted. Yeah. But it's a lot of thankless running balls dumped into the channel. We hope you can kind of make something happen here. Maybe you flick it on and something comes from it. Yeah. But for the most part, it's these really hopeful balls that uh, really shouldn't be that hopeful because Yapstam is Yapstam and Nesta is Nesta. They were rough guys, right? And they were really, yeah. really good at their jobs. Yep. But I, I almost think, like, if this... If if Rafa Benitez tried to spin this game as a like the greatest example of rope a dope since Muhammad Ali, I would kind of believe him because a lot of the mistakes that Liverpool kind of present in the first half and the errors that like change what Milan are doing, like Milan stepping to win all those 50-50 balls and expecting those sort of long lumped balls forward, I think they're still expecting those in the second half and they are fairly slow to react to it and that I think is a big explanation as to why Liverpool pull it back. But I'm jumping ahead. Let's stay with the first half. Okay, let's talk about maybe. Uh... Uh, Milan's second goal. It's Crespo's sure. first goal of the game. It's a it's a really really good goal, um, and I think once again in my notes at least I I see that um, it begins with Luis Garcia getting robbed of the ball by Alessandro yep. Nesta. Yeah, I think I have a little more patience for him than you because uh, at this point, Luis Garcia moves into the Harry Kuehl role. Uh, is it Smicer or Smicer? I've always said it was Smicer, but then the commentators, t- uh, when I listened back to it, were saying Smicer. I always say Smicer. I don't know why. Okay, I'm sticking with Smicer then because okay. uh, I've done the same. Um, yeah, he moves to the kind of like right wing, right like midfield position. Yeah. Uh, Luis Garcia goes central. And then I think like he wasn't having the best game to begin with, but then he's now th- thrust into that Harry Kuehl role of he has to try to make stuff happen. Yeah. And I do have a little more credit <laughs> the Harry for Kuehl. him. Harry Kuehl role of getting crushed by Alessandro Nesta. Exactly, exactly. Or like <laughs> getting the ball, finally having a little bit of control, turning and seeing no one around you and four Milan defenders ahead of you yeah. and just being like, all right, well, I guess we're going to try this. <laughs> so once Garcia has lost the ball, mm-hmm. um, I think it's Maldini collects it. And I want to say it's Perlo with a nice little pass that breaks the lines of, um, of Liverpool's midfield. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kaká is away. And then mm. Liverpool are faced with the problem that uh, Jamie Carragher in that, that, that video with Benitez afterwards says this is his memory of the game is having Crespo and Shevchenko um, in the channels and then Kakar running at them down the middle. Yep. And that, that yeah. was absolutely terrifying. That is the exact situation they are faced with um, in this moment, right? Because Kakar's in behind the Liverpool midfield um, and Shevchenko and Crespo make what I think a really, uh, Crespo at least, makes a really clever crossing run. I'm sure you noticed the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, all of their runs from Shevchenko and Crespo, they interchange a lot, they swap sides a lot, but they, they, for as many times as they're offside, which is several, I think Crespo's offside alone, like he himself alone, like three times in the first half, but they're still really smart with their runs, and they're aware of the opportunities of that high Liverpool line and the space in behind. And then, yeah, like the unselfishness combined with the smart running, combined with the vision and awareness. Uh, yeah, a, a strong front two. You add in Kaká, I'm going to say it's a strong front three. So Crespo is unselfish in that he runs diagonally, and start, he starts on the right, and he drags Jimmy Traore across with him, opens up space for Andrei Shevchenko to go down mm-hmm. the right, and then that's the ball that Kaká is able to play, right? So Kaká plays in Shevchenko, uh, but because of Crespo's unselfishness, um, then he's able to go to the far post, and Shevchenko squares for Crespo, and yeah. Crespo is there to score. It is a magnificent sort of one-two-three punch from that. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right to call them a front three. It's the two strikers, and then the attacking midfielder behind them. With all that said, the ball in from Kaká to Shevchenko is that lovely little like scoop ball that he just plays off the ground, so yeah. you can't just cut it out and intercept it. It's between the two defenders, but it's into space for Shevchenko. And then, yeah, it's a credit to him that he recognizes it's going to be a tight angle. I'm probably not going to be able to finish this. Best chance is like it's a goal, but more likely is it ends up in a corner or a clearance. But then there's that guy at the far post who's wide open. Why not play it to him? And he scores, and it's 2-0. 2-0 in, what, the 40th minute? Yes, and before you go to the third goal, I did want to back up a little bit to the beginning of this one just to say that it's worth noting this comes from Liverpool thinking that they have a penalty shout. Uh, there's like a handball in the box of sorts. It's Nesta on the ground. The ball rolls into his arm. Oh, they yes. all stop and appeal. And number one, you don't do that. You don't stop and stand with your hand in the air because four different Liverpool players do that, and that is why there's this huge counterattacking opportunity on. But that is also kind of exactly what Milan were setting out for. Carlo Ancelotti said he wanted his team to score in the first three minutes and that he fully expected them to do 
do so. They do, and then they can sit back, look for Liverpool to get a little bit desperate, and then look to hit them on the counter. That's how they get these uh, second and third goals. But it's Liverpool. Strange. It's really strange to see Liverpool get encountered so dramatically because that's something we've come to expect from them more recently. Oh, more recently. Yeah. I mean, none of these players mm-hmm. are playing that, right? So oh that, no, that certainly might not. be the big difference. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, fortieth minute, two nil mm-hmm. to Milan. Forty fourth minute, it's three nil to Milan. And this game really feels like it's over genuinely right mm-hmm. you might if you're a Liverpool fan you'd be tempted to turn this game off at half time you'd have been wrong but you'd have been tempted yeah. to yeah and and this is the first uh between the second and third goal maybe right around the time of the second goal is when Liverpool adjust things a little bit so we've already seen them swap out Harry Kuehl that's obviously due to injury but then what I noticed is Liverpool try to deal with Milan having the numbers through the middle by spreading wide as soon as they get the ball everybody starts spreading out and I think the idea is Obviously, AC Milan will adapt to this. They'll have their midfielders go wide. They won't be in such a tight diamond and will have gaps. And instead, basically, Milan stayed where they were and invited Liverpool to try to make something happen. They cannot. And then they end up, because they're so spread out, even more vulnerable to the counterattack, which is where this third goal comes from. So, yeah, uh, Gerard tries a through ball, kind of tries a, the Gerard Hollywood ball, right? At sort of the yeah. foot. It's intercepted by Perlo. And yeah, my memory of it is there's like a quick interchange of passes, right? It's Perlo, it's uh, Cafu, it's Perlo again. Um, and then I believe there's a ball to Kaká. And Kaká does one of those magnificent turns that absolutely stuns Steven Gerrard. It's like he lets yes. the ball run through his legs and turns at the same time. And I think takes a little touch, maybe with the inside of his heel, just to redirect the ball. But he genuinely leaves Steven Gerrard for dead here, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was the moment when I remembered what Kaká was in his prime. Because it's that turn, and then I will always equate it with Marco Echeverri with DC United because the commentator once said, like, the ball had eyes because he yes. split three players to play in a forward. This is a ball had eyes moment. Because I had it to- is a... I had to fifty yard ball. Yes, I so yeah. As Kaká's advancing, he gets the ball through to uh, to Crespo, but it's way more it's way more complicated than it sounds, right? I I tried writing down, trying to like find words to describe this, and I found myself having to diagram it essentially to to write to like draw it out for myself to 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 see the spin on the ball and how it splits so many players, right? So essentially, what what I figured out after after diagramming it is the ball goes between the two centre backs, Hupia and Carragher but then bends in such a way that it tempts Carragher to have a slide at it (laughs) but but it bends away at the last second um, and then so uh, Crespo is able to run uh, through the middle of both of them right and Steve Finnan's Mm -hmm. chasing but he can't get there it is an absolutely perfect like turn and pass from Kaká through to Hernan Crespo but let's not forget about that Crespo finish nope because it is amazing to see an incredibly world-class like inch perfect ball And then it's complemented by an incredible world-class finish because Crespo, I remember this as being that he receives it and takes a couple touches and then finishes calmly against Dudek. Nope. It is first touch and in stride. He does that thing that is so difficult to do that only world-class strikers can do of in stride, he still manages to chip it somehow. And it's like a little scoop shot that completely works, but is so difficult to pull off without making yourself look like a laughing stock. But I guess that's why Ernon Crespo is Ernon Crespo. Would you agree that 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 gives him the element of surprise? Because oh, yeah. he's he's playing yeah. it out of stride, right? So that there's no way Dudek would have expected the shot at that moment. No. And I think this game had been fairly direct, fairly aggressive. And so I think with that, you expect like, okay, here comes just like a head down, shooting as hard as you can sort of shot. And I think so Dudek is preparing himself, trying to kind of close the angle down. And it's probably not expecting the uh, delicate scoop shot that ensues. So 3-0 at halftime, 3-0 to Milan. Rafa Benitez goes in the dressing room and works his magic. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, Taylor, you, you, you've said you, you sort of have diagnosed the, the tactical problem for Liverpool and how mm-hmm. they solve it. What, what's your read on what they do? And then I'll give you what Rafa Benitez says he did. All right. Do you want to tease that? Should we do it now and then talk about today's sponsor? Or should we do the sponsor first since we're at halftime? I feel like since you've said the word sponsor, let's just do All it. All right. <laughs> let's do it. Um, today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Since I always struggle to succinctly explain what a VPN is and what they do, Daryl, can you take that <laughs> one over? A VPN is a virtual private network. It lets you connect to the internet with 
privacy. Here's the important mm-hmm. part with, um, with ExpressVPN. Because it's um, a premium ExpressVPN service, it's the best VPN on the market. It doesn't log your data. You can find cheap or free VPNs, but those VPNs are cheap or free because they make money by then selling your data to ad companies. ExpressVPN does not do that. The P means private for a reason. They've developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. And you might think that that means it's like an even more complex or convoluted thing because it doesn't have all these other little things in place. That is not the case. You don't have to be able to code. You don't have to program. You just fire up the app. You click one button to connect. And it's so easy, <laughs> so say they, that even your grandparents could do it. Uh, my they haven't met my grandparents. <laughs> Yeah, and my in-laws are gerontologists, so I would just say anybody can do it because I myself am not always the most computer literate, uh, and they do make it very, very easy. And I do appreciate that not only do they have the locations you can say you're from, but they have the flags too. So you can just be like, (laughs) I don't know. Oh, but that flag looks familiar. That's the flag I want. I feel fine saying that my grandma couldn't do this because she doesn't have internet. So she would have no need for it. But if you do have internet and you want privacy and you want to be able to mask your IP address, then ExpressVPN um, is for you. You can click that one button. And it's not just me and Taylor saying this. Wired, CNET, The Verge and all kinds of other um, technology journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world where we live. I, I would take uh, Wired, CNET, The Verge, and Daryl vouching for it because they tend to know what they're talking about, and then me maybe underneath that in terms of vouching for it. But you can protect yourself with the VPN that we use and trust. Uh, you can use our link at expressvpn.com slash soccer uh, and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash soccer. Oh, let me say it. Expressvpn.com slash soccer, and you'll learn more there. You will indeed. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this show. Okay, let's talk halftime adjustments because I have always heard that Rafa Benitez is a very good like tournament manager, that he knows how to get the best out of his teams when it comes to knockout competitions, especially the Champions League. Um, I would say the first half is not the best indicator of that, but this halftime adjustment definitely is because basically what he does, uh, he takes out Steve Finnan, who, as you mentioned, is fine. But not yeah. great. So he's playing right uh, back for those following yeah. along. Yeah, Steve Finn is the right back. And in comes Dietmar. Dietmar Hamann. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to go with my bad German accent. Uh, but it's not just that he goes to like, oh, it's another midfielder and whatever. He goes to a, a I have seen it written as like a 3-5-2. I would argue it is a 3-4-2-1. I would I think that distinction is very important. Rafa Benitez would agree. Because when he okay. put this up on the digital chalkboard, it was very much a 3-4-2-1. Yeah, and what that does, it allows you to still have that that kind of target striker who is going to pin those center backs back a little bit more, but now because you've got more numbers around him, he can knock it down to somebody, but you also have to kind of worry about those numbers. It also negates Andrea Pirlo because now you've got two people who are closer to him in the first half. He has tons of time and space to be able to pick his head up and find options, be they long, be they short. He's really not under much pressure. Now he's got people on either side of him, either of whom can step to him and close him down, but then with the back three you can still have like one center center back free and have the other two occupying those wide forwards so you kind of always have the forwards marked up with a free defender you've kind of balanced the midfield because you have better numbers there then you have more numbers committed to the attack and you're sort of limiting how Milan wants to play out and it sort of checks all the boxes for how to cancel out Milan's threats while also kind of providing Liverpool with a few more than they had in the first half. I think everything you've just said is correct. I don't think even even Rafa Benitez himself would disagree with that. But I think the most important thing is that Dietmar Hamann is a more defensive midfielder than Steven Gerrard. Because that yeah. is the big change, right? The midfield mm-hmm. two had been Xabi Alonso and Steven Gerrard. And in Rafa Benitez's own words, they could not control Kaká. Because what would happen is Steven Gerrard is just naturally a box-to-box player, right? So he'd essentially go a-wandering. Um, especially as soon as Liverpool are 1-0 down, you're Steven Gerrard. You're even more tempted to get forward, right? So Gerrard goes forward, leaves Xabi Alonso alone. And Xabi Alonso was magnificent in this game. He picks Absolutely. out, he finds so many passes through tiny, tiny little alleys, right? He is an incredible sort of uh, register-type midfielder. And it's interesting to think of this game as Alonso versus Perlo, like two of the greatest in terms of uh, finding passes from deeper midfield. But Benitez's uh, very specific criticism was, Xabi Alonso is not fast. And even if he wanted to, he could not keep up with Kaká. So you have to bring in a more defensive midfielder to play alongside Alonso. So it becomes Haman and Alonso to try and control Kaká. And then you can push Gerard forward, right? To be one of those two attacking midfielders. And you essentially unshackle Gerard of his defensive responsibilities. 
I you should have given the full quote. It's Chabi Alonso is not fast, but he is perfect. Is that was that the real quote? No, but that's what I want it to be because I Chabi Alonso is my number one player that I, I I am not a Liverpool fan, not a Madrid fan, not a Bayern fan, not a Spain fan, but I love that man. I really do. I enjoy everything about Chabi Alonso, so I enjoyed getting to watch him as a uh, a younger man, but yeah, certainly not a fleet of foot man. And I also think it it does allow Steven Gerrard to have the second half and extra time that he does. Because yes. I was texting yeah. with a uh, former co-host and, and current friend, Albert, <laughs> I almost said former co-host and former friend, um, <laughs> about this game. And I was asking, like, was this the game that sort of cemented it for you? He said, uh, it's not the game that really cemented my Liverpool love because that was Michael Owen. Uh, the game cemented my love for Steven Gerrard. He was so good in the second half and extra time, played everywhere and did everything. I still think it's hard to remember uh, that there weren't a ton of Premier League games on TV at this point. So this was kind of an opportunity to get to watch him on that center center stage but a key point Albert made there is it's the second half because that guardian minute by minute in the first half is basically like when are Liverpool going to recognize that he is not that good he can't play complete a pass he can't mark like why do they continue to think he's so world-class and then the second half he really really shows you why he has that reputation absolutely I've got one more surprise for you please Um, so at half time Steve Finnan was not the planned substitution really so apparently one of the first things that Benitez said when everybody came in their dressing room was, hey, Jimmy Traore, yeah. take a shower. Okay, uh, that makes a lot of sense because Steve Finnan, like, I still had, he still had those moments, and I think it's a little bit shorter, a little bit less physical than Jimmy Traore, but he stands out to me because that means his legs move faster. And there are moments when he almost looks like the roadrunner where he's got like, <laughs> the feet going so fast, but he was still getting up and down and still sort of trying to facilitate attacks but doing his defensive job. It was odd to me that he came off and, and yeah, Traore came on. Because Traore... Mistakes were made, right? Mistakes mm-hmm. were made by Jimmy Traore. There were times when oh, yeah. he was just lifting the ball forward. There were times when he clearly panicked and just tried to mm-hmm. blast crosses in and they went like at weird angles out of bounds. There were times when he just gave the ball away. He straight up had a bad game. Um, yeah. He was going to be... The, they were still going to do the three at the back, but it was mm-hmm. going to be um, uh, Traore who made way as a fullback instead of Steve Finnan. But then the physio told Rafa Benitez... Steve Finnan will not make it through the next 45 minutes because he picked up some sort of injury. So apparently Rafa Benitez said, Jimmy, get out of the shower. Steve, go take a shower. <laughs> wow. Well, how do you turn that around as a manager? Like, just kidding. You were the one I wanted all along. I just wanted you to be fresh and smelling like roses. Well, like, Benitez, what, I mean, what was his- Benitez is famously not mm-hmm. a very um, warm man manager he's very cold very analytical so mm-hmm. i don't think he worries too much about you know players confidence and all, all this kind of thing. it's one of his flaws as a coach i would imagine but he's very good at like making cold analytical calculations and and taking action which is exactly what exactly what he did here he's a charming man though that rafa benitez he's a charming man <laughs> i'm not say that much. i'm not sure that he is uh, oh no he like i'm telling you I, uh when he was managing chelsea uh i was at a preseason game where he did a press conference in this like tiny little cinder block room at the raven stadium it was like super hot uh he was sweating through a suit but was still very charming very funny and ended it with uh thank you for the sauna and then walked out which <laughs> i thought i thought was clever i thought it was charming i mean it's, um, it's yes. one joke it's one joke yeah hey you know what it's one more than a lot of people make. <laughs> uh, yes, so he makes these adjustments. We stick with Jimmy Triari. Out come Liverpool. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting watching uh, the beginning of the second half is there is still a very, very frenetic energy to Liverpool when they start this half. Yeah. And there are moments when like they cannot complete a 10-yard pass. They're turning the ball over. And it did feel like if they didn't get a goal in those first 10 or 15 minutes, that it could have gone a very different way of they sort of self-destruct, they keep making bad passes, they maybe concede another one, or somebody gets a red card and it all goes completely south. And it, and instead, they get that goal and it sort of focuses that like high level of energy into maybe there is an opportunity, maybe there's blood in the water, and they absolutely seize it. And for those who don't know, Liverpool equalized by scoring in the 54th, 56th and 60th minutes of this game. It is three goals to equalize in six minutes of soccer. And at least a minute of that is waiting for Chabi Alonso to take the penalty in the 60th (laughs) minute, right? Before we get to breaking down those goals, um, I do think, I do just want to point out this thing that happens right at the start of the second half. Um, There is a sort of Milan breakaway where uh, Kaká is away. And it's the type of situation where Liverpool would have got destroyed in the first half. 
But Didi Haman is there to come across. And I think as the ball goes to uh, to Seidorf, um, Haman is there to slow it down, close it down. And a thing that yeah. looked like it was developing into a threat suddenly becomes um, an easy tackle for, I think, Hoopier or Carragher. So you can see early on that the tactical plan on the defensive side has definitely worked. They're no longer being shredded open uh, by quick moves through midfield for Milan. And so, yeah, so then it's, it's, you can see it working defensively. They, they have a bit more freedom to go out and kind of uh, snuff out fires before they occur. But then it maybe helps them build that momentum so that then they can get that first goal. And I would say that's the all-important first goal. Yep, it sure is. And you talked about this, right, already, that once you've got Haman and Alonso as the two deeper midfielders, Gerard is one of the attacking midfielders um, alongside what Luis Garcia. So it's Gerard and Luis Garcia are the two attacking midfielders. And Smitza becomes essentially right wing back, right? Risa mm-hmm. is the left wing back. Gerard is free to go steaming into the box to arrive late to head this goal home in the 54th minute because he has no worries about having to start really, really deep in midfield. And the late arrival is also important here because similar to what we said about uh, Milan's first goal when it's uh, Liverpool sort of dropping off expecting a ball deeper into the box, I sort of think that that's what Milan were doing here as well, that they come out for the second half. I think they continue to try to kind of sit a little bit deeper and look to counter, but I think they're also not trying to kill themselves. They don't want to expend too much energy. I think they think that Liverpool are maybe beaten, but we don't want to give them any kind of way back into this game. And I think they essentially have the approach of let's sit off a little bit, but also so, like, don't kill yourself. Don't go yeah. too hardcore into anything. And so if you're approaching it from let's sit off and also not be 100% ready to go, you're going to have problems. And here, Jared is wide open in the box because Jopstam has just dropped off too deep. And he does kind of go to try to win that ball, but by then he's dropped off. He can't close that distance. And instead, Steven Jared is there. And it felt very similar of Milan just dropping off, expecting a deeper ball. That ball played a little bit closer to the penalty spot, and you get a goal. And you can you can contrast it with the first half, where Risa, it's Risa who swings this cross in for Gerard, right? For Gerard to, uh, to head across. Um, Risa swung in like two, three, four crosses in the first half, but they yep. would either go over the heads of Kuehl and uh, Luis Garcia when he replaces Kuehl um, and Milan Barros, or Nesta or Stam would be very front foot stepping out, heading it away. Like They were good looking bendy crosses because Risa could do that, but they were just easily dealt with by, by Milan. This time, like you said, they're a bit more back foot. Gerard's able to arrive late. They cannot deal with this one. It's 3-1 uh, with a header from Gerard. Is there anything and you'd like to mo- say about the header itself? Uh, I mean, it's a great header. It's a great header. It's a better celebration from Steven Gerrard because it is just picking up everybody immediately. But the power behind it, coupled with the direction, anytime you can get both of those, you really are getting exactly what you want out of a big header. I just wanted to say that when they make the movie of this one, I have a feeling that that shot will be Jean Anarisa just playing a ball in directly to Steven Gerrard. Steven Gerrard heads it home, and you can see, like, oh, the tide has turned. They've really figured it out. Worth noting, the first cross from Jean Anarisa is blocked, and it goes back to him. <laughs> then he hits the second one into the box. So there's still a little bit of, like, figuring it out from Liverpool, and this time it works. All right, two minutes later... Yeah. It's three two. Um, <laughs> yep, with a goal from Smitza. Um, mm-hmm. And if you just if you watch this casually, it's a Liverpool throw in. I think it's Risa gives it to Alonso. Um, Alonso squares it to someone else to Haman. Alonso gives it to mm-hmm. Haman. Haman squares it to Smitza. Top of the box, Smitza strikes it like a like an arrow in the bottom corner. When you rewatch it, you wonder why is there no pressure on the ball from Milan, and then you spot Kaká. Oh, yeah, Kaká. I mean, I think. I'm going to give him 70... I'm going to give him 60% of the blame on this one. Absolutely, right? As John Onorisa is taking this throw on Liverpool's left, I think Kakar is essentially marking Alonso, right? Or he's right Mm -hmm. next to him. And Kakar instead just reaches down and starts rolling down his socks and messing with his shin guards and rearranging his shin guards and just lets the game go on without him. And you see Alonso kind of... I don't know if Alonso notices or not, but he checks away from Kakar, receives the ball... No pressure. And then suddenly Milan are literally a man down in midfield, right? Because every time they pass the ball, someone's chasing the, the guy with the ball. And there's a spare man to the right each time. It looks like a game of rugby with loads of lateral passes and an extra man. That someone is Clarence Sadov, by the way. Cause yes! He, he basically goes charging out to try to get to uh, to Haman, and then when he can't get to him, he tries to get to uh, Smitzer, but it's a little bit too late. Because but, as we learned yeah. in goal, the ball moves faster than the man. It does. It does. <laughs> a helpful lesson there. So Kaká definitely, if had he been in the right position, he cuts that first ball out, or at least that, that kind of lateral pass isn't on, so you can't have the build-up from there. But it's also worth noting that 
uh, like Gattuso is standing just outside of the 18. But if you count him as being inside the 18, because he's very close to it, Milan have eight players inside their own box at this point, including the goalkeeper. But still, like that is way too many numbers, given that uh, both Haman and Smitzer and Chabianza are like 10 yards away from the top of the 18. Yeah. So that is really a good... 10, 15 yards uh, gap that you should not have. And again, I think it's Milan dropping in, trying to be conservative, maybe being a little bit rattled by that first goal. But simultaneously, I think Kaká adjusting the shin guards to me says they're still sort of like, yeah, it's one goal. They're beaten. Yeah. We got this figured out. I don't need to run around. Because if you're going to be conservative and get lots of numbers in the box, and I understand that instinct after you've just conceded uh, a goal in the Champions League final, you've still got to get pressure to the ball outside the box from someone, right? You yeah. can't have your farthest forward midfielder just dropping out of the game for a couple of minutes like oh I'm just gonna you know mess with this I I really struggled to understand what was going on here if this was me um, I'm not saying I'm a better professional than Kaká because I'm not a professional but I I can't see me stopping to adjust my shin guards in the middle of a game I would imagine no. you keep playing and you just think I'll oh, I'll deal with this um, maybe he was thinking I'll deal with this when the ball goes out of play and that's why he goes down to do it as soon as there's a throw in but he must know that throw's coming back in pretty fast yeah, I think it speaks to he just thinks this isn't my job. Uh, like I'm not, I don't need to do the defensive work. They've got it covered. I'm here for when the ball spills free. Except that it's worth noting, Andrei Shevchenko goes sprinting past him because he, I think, recognizes like, oh, there's an overload here. I need to do something. And Shevchenko drops in, but he then follows suit and goes too deep again. So he does get back into position. It's just that he runs between Haman and uh, Chabi Alonso. And so he go- he goes to the top of the 18 as well. But even he was aware that like, wait a minute, they've got an opportunity here. I need to do something. He just makes the wrong choice once he gets into the space. Okay, Schmitzer strike. Let's not mm-hmm. underestimate yeah. what Schmitzer does with this strike. It's kind of like laces, I think, top of the box, mm-hmm. bottom corner. Does it hit Milan Baros on the way through? I don't think so. I, I have a note here that it's a credit to Milan Baros for this one because he gets out of the way in the most like agile, yes. good core sort of way that he ducks it. Like it easily could have touched him, and I think he maybe would have been offside as well. I doubt they would have given it because we don't have VAR, but he easily could have deflected it, blocked it, uh, turned it away from goal, and instead he just jumps out of the way, creates that little opening, and through in on goal it goes. He's a little uh, like uh, Neo in the Matrix. Yes, yes, he is. It's really good awareness from him. He, it's. I felt bad that he didn't score because I thought he did so much thankless running and put in so much work and probably has a big role in tiring that Milan defense to the point where it isn't quite as effective as it would have been otherwise. Well, the good news is he kind of gets an assist on the penalty that Liverpool This win, is true. Doesn't it? This is true. So this, I, I have some questions about this, but yeah, please set the, set the stage. Okay, so this starts with, I think it's interesting that this goal or this winning the penalty in the 60th minute to make it 3-3, Starts with Smitzer basically in central midfield, right? Mm-hmm. I noticed throughout the game, even though he's supposed to be playing essentially right wing back, right? Yep. He keeps wandering into central midfield. And I think it's partly because partly because he's not used to playing that position, right? Um, but also partly because Paolo Maldini is the Milan left back and he does not get forward even half as much as, say, Carfu. That's right? a good call. That's a good point. And yeah. also Clarence Seedorf is the left-sided midfielder. He likes to come central as well. Yep. So I don't know if Smitzer recognises that there's no need for him to stay pinned to the wing and maybe it's better to come and have him uh, be part of the numbers overloading midfield or if he's just sort of not quite used to playing wide and so he wanders in field. Either way, it's good for Liverpool that he's there because um, he starts this move that wins the penalty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and I mean, obviously, is in place in that exact spot to score the goal by going central. So I think yeah. also that's pretty good. But yeah, he he is it. Uh, Smitzer, no, it's uh, Jamie Carragher, right, who plays the ball into Milan Baros. It is. So it's yeah, Smitzer um, is holding the ball in midfield, and Jamie Carragher goes from right centre back. He does a sort of Chris Wilder Sheffield United centre back run, where he just goes charging up the right side, and Smitzer's got this like nice, clever outside of the foot pass to play the ball into his path. I honestly thought it was Chabi Alonso playing this ball to begin with. Carragher charges forward and it's got to be the highlight of Carragher's career. He plays a pass into the box to Milan Baros yep. that splits both Perlo and Maldini yep. to find Milan Baros. That is peak Jamie Carragher. And yet I would say I don't disagree with like the way you're describing that and yet 
other plays he makes in this second half are maybe more impressive, which is uh, something to say, especially uh, before Steven Gerrard scores the first goal for Liverpool. There's a moment when Carragher goes on a, a good 60 or 70 yard run. Uh, if you're listening to it without the commentary, you'll know it's that moment because he screams like, mine! <laughs> as he's running through, gets the ball, goes down, goes into a 50-50 with Yopstam. I think he ends up winning Liverpool a corner, but he knocks Yopstam off the ball. And right there, that felt like a sort of setting the stage. Carragher is like, fine, I'll do it myself. I'm taking the ball the length of the field. I'm going to knock Yopstam over. I'm going to get us a set piece in there, like defensive third. And and then he has this run and plays this ball in. Some great work from Jamie Carragher. Again, moving him to the kind of right center back spot, I think really pays dividends yes, for Liverpool. it really worked for him, right? So this, yep. this move to win the penalty kick, he plays this ball into Milan Barash, who has a defender on his back. I'm not sure who it is. I'm going to guess it's Yapstam or Nesta. And he just has a one-time outside of the foot yep. layoff to the late arriving Steven Gerrard. He's done it again. Um, Gerrard's done this thing where he's waited for, I think it's Perlo gets attracted over to Carragher as Carragher is charging forward. And if you, wa- if you watch this again, you'll see as soon as that gap opens up, Gerrard is away. Gerrard sees the space and runs into it. It's one of the things he was so good at so that he was there late arriving to receive this pass from Barros. And then he's brought down by Gennaro Gattuso. And it looks soft to begin with, right? But I'm really confident that uh, Gattuso's right leg basically tangles with Gerard's left leg. We've said this before, but it's worth reiterating. Like, this is one of those plays where you watch in slow motion, and if you don't like soccer, you will see this and think, like, see, it's so soft. Like, there's no contact there. Like, barely any, and he goes down. Uh, uh, this is where I would say, try running at full speed, as fast as you can, and then imagine someone just clipping your foot a little bit and what that would do to you. Yeah. It, it's really like stepping on a black ice out of nowhere. And see how many bruises like, you It will get. send you sprawling. Yeah, exactly. I will also add, I think, like... I could kind of identify Steven Gerrard. Like, if you just had the silhouette of him, like an animation silhouette of him, I could probably, like, identify him by the way he kind of runs and dribbles, but the way he falls. <laughs> Steven Gerrard falls as though he's a slinky. Like, he hits, like, the bottom part of him stays rooted, and then the top half goes over. It's a really specific way he falls that I cannot explain, but when you watch this one happen, maybe he's selling it a little bit, but it's just I a very so. definitive, like, aggressive, violent way of falling uh, that is very unique to Steven Gerrard. I think there's a bit of slinky salesmanship every time okay. Gerard goes down it's not necessarily a bad thing I think because I think it's just enough salesmanship that it's not showy like a Neymar type thing where you're going to get yeah. ridiculed for it but it's just enough to uh, maybe convince any referees that were on the fence about whether or not this was a foul but here is what confuses me about this though it, he is in on goal I mean maybe maybe Kafu can get over and put a foot in but I don't think so I think he's basically he's about to take this shot and that clip happens I don't understand I think Gattuso doesn't get a card at all. I don't understand how that's not a yellow card and maybe even a red card because it seems like it's denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. At this point, that is still a red card offense. I don't know how Gattuso stays on the field. Oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't look at the position of the the other players. I'm going to assume mm-hmm. maybe they were just players. Uh, yeah, like you said, Carfu maybe could have covered. Maybe, but it really is like they're a little bit of ahead of Steven Gerrard. So he is not like in on goal by that definition, but they're still like yards away that he is definitely going to shoot this with his next touch and probably put it in the goal. So I'm happy it wasn't because maybe that would have changed the the structure of this game even more. But it still was one of my notes of how is Gattuso still on the field? Well, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Alonso steps up to take the penalty kick. He looks May I nervous. interject for a moment? Yes. If you don't mind? Exactly. I have in my notes, uh, because th- two, two things I should admit right up front. Daryl sent me the link to this uh, game to watch, and about, like, after uh, Milan scored the first goal, about 15 minutes in, I was like, all right, I'm getting kind of tired. I'm going to go make myself a, myself a cup of tea, but I'll wait until Milan get the second goal, then I'll take a break. And I kept waiting and waiting, and at one point I wrote in my notes, like, did Daryl send me the wrong clip? <laughs> Forgetting when what minutes these goals happened. Similarly, in my notes for this one, I wrote down, if I didn't know any better, I would swear that he is going to miss this penalty. <laughs> <laughs> and if you look on the score sheet, it says mm-hmm. Alonso, 60th. Yep. It does not say penalty because he misses this penalty. Dida saves it. But Alonso charges in and just gets his left foot to it and kind of lifts it, chips it into the top left corner. And we don't know who the fifth, or I don't know who the fifth taker for Liverpool would have been because they only have four. Oh, you mean when they they go to actual penalty kicks, you mean? Yeah, I'm assuming it would have been Gerrard. And I do wonder if this is why Xabi Alonso doesn't take one in the penalty shootout. Mm, That makes sense. That would make sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. But at least he's there to ha- have the poise and calmness to to finish, and then he gets 
sort of like horse collar uh, clotheslined by Milan Baros in that celebration. It's an aggressive <laughs> celebration. I thought maybe there were some injuries afterwards. What do you, how much do you want to talk about the rest of this game? Because there were no more goals until extra time. Yeah. Sorry, until the penalty kicks. Yeah. But obviously there are incidents. So maybe let's just pick out a few either tactical changes or incidents that we want to talk about leading up to the penalty kicks. Yeah, um, I think I think especially as uh, regulation winds down, you do see Liverpool sort of like having to come down a little bit. And I think that they are very content to get to extra time. I think they're pretty gassed by about the 80th minute. And that is when Milan do start sort of start to turn it on. And I would argue that this game finishes 4-3 in regulation, if not for Jamie Carragher. Absolutely. He has yes. one, one that he just kind of cuts out with a slide tackle at the very, very end. Yes. But one in like the 88th minute or so. It was difficult because I didn't have a clock on mine. I was basically using an online stopwatch to track <laughs> what minute I thought stuff was in. But I think it was around the 88th. He single-handedly basically stops a 3v1. And I don't know how he does it, but he eventually gets across to block a shot. It's incredible defending from him. I feel like we've just duplicated work and made the same notes. But yes, in the 88th minute, Shevchenko. (laughs) It's Shevchenko actually goes on on this crazy dribble where he beats Mm -hmm. Haman, he beats Hoopier, and he's kind of in, and Carragher slides in and blocks. That's the 88th minute. Eight minutes earlier. 80th, yep. The same thing. <laughs> Why didn't one of us just take notes and share them, right? I don't know. Um, it's, e- it's even worse, right? Shevchenko beats, I think, Haman, Hupia, yeah. and Traore. He beats three men, um, gives it to Crespo. Crespo tries, cuts it back to Kaká, and Carragher throws himself at this and blocks it. And he, mm-hmm. I think he gets injured in the process, right? He's struggling for a little yep. bit there. There are absolute heroics with good timing from Jamie Carragher. It's the perfect combination of just wild throw myself at this, but also throw myself at the exact right spot because I'm actually very good at what I'm doing. Yeah, it was it was a good reminder of why he is so beloved by Liverpool fans and why he kind of has the presence he has today is because of that sort of like definitive English stiff upper lip hard work sort of thing. I can understand why people like him the way they do. Uh, I also enjoy his friendship with Gary Neville, I will say that, <laughs> uh, but that doesn't really relate to this uh, episode. But I thought Jamie Carragher really... Again, almost single-handedly keeps Liverpool in this one in the dying moments. And then Jerzy Dudek in extra time uh, plays his part as well. He certainly does. I want to say one more thing about uh, Carragher. It's actually really interesting. If you look at the team sheet for Liverpool, there are only two Englishmen on the team sheet. Mm -hmm. It's Carragher and Gerrard. So weirdly, there's only two Englishmen, but they're both from Liverpool. So it's this weird thing of like... They're not that well represented in terms of locality, but they're also weirdly hyper representative by two local lads and one's captain and one's like the star defender on the day. As Daryl will attest, I have a weird sort of like concern about that. Like I, I tend to enjoy like I'm a Man United fan. I tend to enjoy it when I see four or five Englishmen starting in that team. And I almost think of that as like a multiplier of like, yes, Liverpool only had two Englishmen. So they get like that bonus for having two Englishmen. But then they're from Liverpool. That's like a times three bonus. So they really had six Englishmen on <laughs> the field is what I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's very strange, isn't it? But And Harry Kuehl, you know, former territory. I think that counts as like half. There's six and a half Englishmen on the field. I don't know Harry Kuehl's politics. So I, I can't <laughs> I doubt, speak to I it. doubt he'll appreciate that. Or enjoy it. it. (laughs) His politics are injured. I know that. (laughs) Here's the big thing. Going into extra Mm. time, we're going to have to talk about that Dudek save, right? But going into extra time, the big change that Ancelotti makes is, I think I mentioned this earlier, that there's no width on the left, right? Maldini's Ah, not really getting Mm -hmm. forward. Sadov likes to drift um, in field. I'm pretty sure Ancelotti changes shape to match three at the back and wing backs when he brings on Serginho, for Sadov, and it essentially goes to um, a three-five-two. Yes, yeah, and, right? and and it, and, it, and I think that yeah, you're probably correct in that. Like that happens, yeah, 86 minute, and I do think we had already started to see Milan sort of playing their way into it. But I, I, I after that is when we see Rafa Benitez get up and he starts like gesticulating wildly. He's got notes that he's sort of reading and relaying to people, and I think that is when he recognizes. I need to make some changes really quickly because we may still lose this in regulation. Yeah. Uh, but the whistle goes, I think, like a minute or two later, and then he's able to adjust a bit more. But I think that change from Ancelotti really, not necessarily knocks Liverpool back, but I think they stop really getting as aggressively into the attack as they were in those opening 15 minutes of the second half. So in that video I'm talking about where Benitez and Carragher look back on this game, Benitez says, I said to Ancelotti after, you made the right move. That was the yeah. right tactical move to bring Serginho on add width to the left because Liverpool weren't ready to deal with it. Um, and I think uh, Liverpool had used their third substitution to replace a very tired Milan Baros <laughs> yeah. uh, with the fresh legs of Gibril Cisse. Um, so they've got no more subs left. So what Benitez does to counter this is because he knows 
Smeets is going to get torn apart, right? If he's having to actually defend um, against Serginho. And apparently, even though he only entered the game in the 23rd minute, he doesn't really have the legs left to defend um, against. And to be fair, Smeets has played right wing back and central midfield, weirdly combined. So he switches Smeets with Steven Gerrard. And for the last 30 minutes of this game in extra time, Steven Gerrard plays right wing back and does an absolutely brilliant job. He mostly closes down Serginho. Our aforementioned friend, Albert, um, he once described this as Steven Gerrard playing a combination of right back and Jesus. <laughs> uh, and yet he didn't have the long hair that would have really helped fill that one out a bit more. Um I will say, so like, it's a good change for Mancialati. I, I was really confused why he left it so late to start making the changes. So maybe it was just that he wanted to Liverpool like run out of all three and then he could totally drastically change stuff. But that first substitution, I think it's uh, Yandal Thomason comes on in the 85th and then it's Serginho in the 86th and then it's Rui Costa in extra time. But it was odd to me that he waited that long. That felt like a fairly big mistake from Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, I mean, maybe he spent a long time thinking about it or kept thinking he would turn it around. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think maybe if Benito says that's the right change and it really mixed things up for Liverpool, it would have been better to do it in the 70th minute than right at the end of regular time, right? Yes. Um, yes. Right, so, but that said, I mean, Milan still have some pretty good chances. Let's get to that year's Edu deck double set. Yeah, so right at the end of extra time, there is a chance. It's actually a Serginho cross, right? It comes in. Um, yeah. I want to say he's not up against Gerrard. Someone else has stepped out, so he's not. Gerrard's had a few block tackles on Serginho. He's done a great job at right wing back. Um, but Serginho does send a cross in. Shevchenko gets between, I want to say, Hupia and Traore. Um, gets a header like heads down towards the bottom left corner dude that goes down gets like a chicken wing to it and then it bounces straight back to Shevchenko and I think Shevchenko is just trying to slam it as hard as he can right in front of him Dudek's just popping back up and gets another hand to it it is it's an incredible double save but I think there's an element of luck to it so the commentator said that uh, in the moment the color commentator said like he didn't know anything about it I am not sure that you had a commentator uh, I think for the, for this high, I think I went back and watched this again because I wanted to see if ah, I could okay. find like a slow motion. It's really difficult to find like a, a true slow mo breakdown from like behind the goal or something like that. But because Dudek gets a hand to it, but I think more importantly is like he just sort of reactively gets a hand in the way. And I don't know what uh, exercises he was doing. I'm not even going to make a masturbation joke here, but his wrists must be insanely strong he's like superhero dexterity or something because he basically just gets a palm to it but somehow Shevchenko crushes that ball does, and right? I don't know how it doesn't just like knock his hand backwards and the ball slowly goes in instead it goes straight up in the air so Dudek has like the ability to get the muscle tightened enough that basically the ball hits it and goes right up I don't know how he does that so I guess it's maybe a little bit luck and a little bit instinct but I guess that's what you need if you want to win the Champions League 22 percent concentrated power of will I believe it oh was. boy Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, That leads us to the penalty shootout. But I have to say my favorite moment of the entire game happens just before the penalty shootout occurs. What's that? Uh, there is a shot of, because uh, the fans start singing, uh, the Liverpool fans specifically, start singing You'll Never Walk Alone, and it cuts to a great shot of the, the, the Liverpool fans all into it. And there's one, I'm going to assume, fairly drunk guy who realizes that he's on the monitor and turns to his friend and just goes like, It's me. It's me. Like, very, like, they don't know what he's talking about. He's just pointing at himself and saying, it's me. And then after about 10 seconds, they realize what's going on and they all start kind of like hamming it up a bit more. But just him not knowing how to respond, I'm going to assume very drunk and just being like, it's, it's me up there. Like, that's my face. <laughs> it really did make me genuinely laugh when I watched this at like two o'clock last night. Okay, Taylor, to the shootout. I have learned. Yep. Um, in our many years of doing this, that you are the guy that makes the best notes and has the best observations about penalty shootouts. So, I have my charts. So the, you have your charts. The only thing mm-hmm. I really have to talk about is what Jersey Dudek is doing. So before we get to that, which is really the headline of this penalty shootout, right, is what mm-hmm. Jersey Dudek is doing. Is there anything else that you noticed in terms of patterns? What do your charts reveal? Uh, Dida dove the same way every single time. Oh, I didn't uh, spot he, that. He, he dove to his right, uh, and then he also remains motionless. That seems to be Dida's uh, tactic, is don't give anything away, don't jump one way or the other. He just would stand there motionless and, I think, try to read the, the taker, and that works really well for Reese's uh, take, because Reese's is really well-placed, and it's decent power behind it. It's just a great save from Dida, but aside from that, I think not moving, he's such a big guy that if he had like spread those arms out and kind of moved back and forth like Yerzy Dudek did, I think he probably gets in their head a little bit more, but because 
because he doesn't uh, and dives the same way for the first uh, three, I believe, then you can kind of see Liverpool think like, all right, I'm going to go to the right. And Smeezer just bashes his into the <laughs> right-hand corner. And I think that's probably an awareness of Dita going the, the same way every single time. Um, in terms of uh, Milan's penalties, mm-hmm. uh, Rafa Benitez said that they'd done their research. And this is actually yeah. quite early. Like this, this is before it was a really obvious thing to do loads of research and you couldn't have easy access to video, right? Like you can mm-hmm. right now. You can't just get on Scout and look at penalty kicks. Uh, but they, he said, apart from John Dahl Thomason, they knew the habits and the penalty-taking habits of every single one of Milan's penalty kick takers. Could you see that in... Yes. Yes, okay. How could you see it? Uh, that's really, really interesting because, uh, Dudek, uh, for the first one, which is Serginho, he puts it, he skies it over, but Dudek dives to the correct side. Uh, the second one is Pirlo. He uh, obviously dives the right way because he saves that one. Thomason is, uh, he dives the wrong way. I do wonder if Thomason scores, right? Uh, yes, yeah. uh, but but uh, yeah, Dudek dives the wrong way. He dives the wrong way on Kaká, and I almost am inclined to believe that that's Kaká being aware of like, oh, he knows what we're doing. Uh, and then obviously, uh, Dudek dives the right way for Shevchenko. So three of the five, he dove the right way. That seems to indicate that there was some research going on. That's but there was definitely also a little bit... Uh, craftiness because pretty much every single one of these would have had to be retaken because Dudek is routinely about three yards off his line when the, the penalty is taken. But he does something else, Mr. Grove, that I'm going to guess you picked up on. Oh, of course, yeah. He's so waving his arms around and like, uh-huh. so he, his technique, Dudek's technique is to wave his arms around, wave his legs uh-huh. a little bit. And then as the kicker starts the run up, he starts basically faking left, right, left, right, left, right. Yeah. I'm going to go one of these ways. So what I've just put two and two together on though is realizing that when he's doing that, which way am I going to go thing, he already knows which way he's going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Because they've done the yep. research and he knows which way the shooter is going. Yep. So it, it frees you up. If you just commit, if you're the goalkeeper or, or a penalty shooter for that matter, if you just commit to a side and decide that's where I'm going, it really frees you up to do a bunch of other stuff. You can do all the nonsense before, know, like, but you know where you're going to exactly. end up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but there's another thing that he did that was my favorite thing that Jerzy Dudek did throughout the shootout. Is it that as, as well as going left, right, left, right, left, right, he takes basically two steps off his line every time? Well, there's that. But before the penalty is taken, he routinely would get the ball, bring it out to the shooter and then stand there and hold it out to them. And with at least three of the Milan players, as they went to get it, he pulled it back. A little <laughs> so they had to then come forward. And it really is just those little mind games of like, like you make them kind of commit to what you're doing or more likely is you kind of piss them off and you want them angry. You want yeah, them yeah. not being confident and just knowing what they're doing. You want them being like, I'm going to show this guy because as soon as you're then like, making it personal and trying to figure out what he's going to do, you're sort of in your own head and he is a little bit too. But he routinely walked out every single time. He never delayed it. He never did anything that would have gotten him in trouble or had the referee say like, hey, stop doing that. Um, And even Dida at one point goes and like chases a ball and tosses it out. But I think maybe he's a little bit behind the curve on that one. But (laughs) Dudek, little mind games like that, I think go a long way. Do you know the history of this with Liverpool as well? No. So there's the famous thing from the 1984 European Cup final. It's Liverpool versus yeah, Roma. Okay. Bruce mm-hmm. Grabelaar does what's become known as the spaghetti legs, where he <laughs> stands on his line and basically pretends that his legs are going out from under him. He just like wobbles his legs left and right as if he's going to collapse at any second. And at least one Roma player just misses because they're so confused hmm. and put off by what Bruce Grabelaar is doing. So I think. Wasn't his rapping that did it? it? I mean, no, I don't think the Anfield rapper arrived at that point. So no. yeah, they, maybe they saw the future and heard that and that, that put them off as well. But if you go back and find. Intimidated. If you If you Google uh, Grabelaar spaghetti legs, do you know what? I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can, uh, and listeners can compare it. I definitely think there's a tradition here that Dudek is following in. It's like a Liverpool European Cup final wobbly legs tradition um, because Dudek isn't famous for doing this before or after right this this sort of uh mm-hmm. this weird these weird movements before penalty kicks so i'm not i'm not sure this is so mean i'm not sure Yuzi, Yuzi Dudek is that famous before or after he goes and sits on the bench for real madrid after this right just he cashing does. checks I, for being uh for being yeah. number 2 and again mm-hmm. i don't want to keep referring to it if you watch the benitez carragher video uh benitez explains why he replaces Jersey Dudek with pepe reina very soon after dudek has just won the champions league and it actually makes a lot of sense hmm do you want to share that or do you want to encourage people to go watch the video? Okay, I'll share it. I'll share it. It's because apparently Dudek was not much of a communicator and Benitez always wants his goalkeepers talking to his defenders and his defenders talking to his midfielders and his midfielders talking to his forwards. So he replaced Dudek with a goalkeeper hmm. who would organize the defense. And is the most lovable person on earth? Pepe Reina? 
Yeah. I don't know. I asked him to do uh, an intro for the Total Sock Show one time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. And he said, I don't speak English. Oh, that's, that's harsh. Yeah. That's harsh. I was like, dude, that's you live there. Martinez you live there. <laughs> Uh, yes, so Liverpool win. Yuri Dudek is the hero. The cameras stay with him. I did enjoy. I, you know, I love a celebration. I love that Jamie Carragher is the first to get to him, misses the jump celebration, and then just takes off running. <laughs> like, he's just like, I got other places to be. Steven Gerrard follows Jamie Carragher, and then the pylon happens elsewhere. But those two, I guess, went off on their own to celebrate. Have you got any any other notes you want to add from this game? I've got a couple, but I won't take up too much of your time. Uh, I've got two really quick ones. Yeah. One. Um, like, I saw a video recently of the Premier League, like, before Jose Mourinho's arrival, and it was just a lot of, like, vertical balls, very direct play. It's like a header back and a header back and a header back and just kind of back and forth. And it was similarly interesting to watch this game with, like, it's been a while since I've seen a game where really nobody cared about possession. Like, mm. Milan obviously did, but there was a lot of, like, ball retention wasn't necessarily prioritized, is a better way to put it. That Milan, even with possession, would still try these 30- and 40-yard balls that obviously weren't going to work. Liverpool did a ton of that, especially in the first half, but even in the second half. And it was, that felt like a thing that nowadays managers would lose their minds yes. if you just kept trying these risky passes. So that was really fascinating to me. Yeah, and the I want to say we, I, we were harsh on Jimmy Traore for keep giving the ball away when he was like chipping it down to to Barros and, and Kjell. They weren't really well-placed balls, but he definitely looked like he'd been instructed to do that, right? Lift the ball down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So I, I think maybe that lets him off a little bit, but that was that was sort of interesting to watch. It was also interesting to watch this one having just finished uh, the English game, the Netflix series, which we were watching for uh, the Total Soccer Show. Um, and this game felt almost more brutal than some of the games <laughs> in, in that show. Uh, there was some tough tackling in this one. And uh, my final one that did make me then wonder uh, who was the last of uh, the 22 players in this game of the starters to uh, play? Like, who was the last one to retire? Do you know the answer? Oh, I'm just looking at it now. Maybe Andrea Perlo? I may be incorrect, but Milan Barros is still playing. No. <laughs> He's still playing in the Czech Republic at 38 years old. Go on, Milan Barros. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. I don't know how much he's playing, but he is he still he is the 2017 to dash instead of 2017 to a date. Fantastic. Entry. Go yep. on, Milan Barros. Um, mm-hmm. One thing. One thing I would note is don't feel too bad for this Milan team for losing this final, even yeah. though they were magnificent, no. because the core of this team won the 2003 Champions League and went on to beat Liverpool in the 2007 Champions League final. So your mm-hmm. core players like Nesta, Maldini, Perlo, Gattuso, um, I think Kakar's in one final, Shevchenko's in the other. Um, they all get Champions League winners' medals with Milan at some point. So it's almost like, not that, they're, not that they're happy about losing this, but this great Milan team does end up winning, winning medals and already has one at this, at this point. Yeah, and then like nine of them get to coach Milan later. So it all works <laughs> out. <laughs> Uh, I think that's that's all I had, uh, other than one more time that uh, Kafu is absurd and was what we did the math, like 34-35 at this yes. point, but still faster than a lot of people on the field. Absolutely Kafu incredible. was maybe the number one player I would have drafted out of this game. Absolutely incredible. The second thing was just my frustrations with Luis Garcia. He is obviously yeah. such a, su- not supremely, such a very talented footballer who seems to always have to do a trick and just makes the wrong decision every time. He's the exact type of player I don't like playing with. You want to know, here's the reason why I don't like him is because twice in my notes I had to cross out Luis Enrique and write Luis Garcia. <laughs> oh, dear. That is the end of my notes on this one. So, uh, the miracle of Istanbul, 3-3, extra time, Liverpool with the win on penalties. Anything else we should add about this uh, classic historical match? Just that this is the fourth historical match review we've done. Previous historical match reviews um, were the U.S. versus Spain in the 2009 Confederations Cup semi-final, the U.S. versus Argentina in the 1995 Copa America, and the U.S. versus Mexico at the 2002 World Cup. We have three more of these planned. If you have a game that you would like us to review, you can find us on Twitter at Total Soccer Show, which is um, our other show that we do, our daily show, The Total Soccer Show. Tweet at us. Let us know if there's a classic game you would like us to review, and we will consider adding it to the list. Whatever we decide, for the following three Mondays, there will be a classic match review. There we go. Classic match reviews indeed. But until then, uh, I have nothing else to add. So I will just say, Daryl Grove, I've enjoyed our time together. All right. Then I will say goodbye by saying, I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for listening to Soccer 101.